Hello and welcome to another episode of our program Develop. We are delighted that you are able to join us today. And I'm so excited to introduce to you a four-part series on the ministry of discipleship. If you have been a Christian for some time, you probably heard the word discipleship. It's a buzzword around the church throughout the world at the moment. And uh, you probably uh, already engage with some aspect of discipleship in your own world. And I believe that every God-honoring disciple wants to do what Jesus commanded us to do, and that is to go and make disciples. I recall that when I first started in full-time ministry in the middle of uh, 2000s, I actually engaged uh, with a church plant to, uh, to, to help our community and our neighborhood to discover Jesus. We would go pray, walk the community. In fact, once we had a bus and went around different landmarks in our community in order to pray that God would transform our community. I had been uh, privileged to see the ministry of my father, who for many years experienced an incredible move of God in his uh, uh, ministry setting. He would preach to thousands who, who would come and spend hours singing and worshiping God before the message. And as they walked out of the auditorium, they walked in, in, in tens and hundreds of people to the train station singing the worship songs and, and it moved the community. There were uh, healings. There were, uh, you know, incredible miracles, paralyzed people able to walk, blind people able to see. And to me, that was the climax of ministry. So when we began our ministry, we wanted to see a revival, wanted to see crowds, wanted to see people in the community come to know Jesus, wanted to see healing and wonders. We wanted to see many hundreds of people saved and, and we just were praying and we received prophetic words that God is going to do something magnificent in our midst. In fact, we fasted, we prayed, we prayer walked, we even uh, prayer bust. Uh, you know, the, the entire uh, community would go through a bus and for the entire evening would stop at landmarks and pray for a transformation. And, and we had some godly uh, uh, men and women in our lives older than us who embraced the vision of God over our environment and spoke life and hope and, and prophesied over us that God is going to do something profound in our midst. And we believed with every fiber of our being that God will do it. And our emphasis in reaching out to the lost, our emphasis on creating incredible events on Sunday because we believe that people will, will be attracted to a great service and we were believing for miracles that would create a, a, a bit of a, a, you know, a buzz in our environment that more people will come. Why all of that? Why did we believe all of that? Because that's how we've been incultured into the life of church. 
I grew up in an environment where my dad was used mightily by God in what you would imagine to be uh, another revival that should have been on a transformation video where there were healings and, and, and paralyzed people walk. Blind people literally had their eyes open and, and, and people were converted by hundreds, in fact thousands. And, and, and every Tuesday evening and every Thursday evening, there were thousands, three to 5,000 that attended the gathering and and they were you know fired up about Jesus they would uh, they would sing song for literally four to five hours before the sermon you imagine that it was crazy and people would walk uh, through the street to the to the train station and they would be singing loudly in the neighborhood the same songs that they sung that evening and I grew up in an environment where this was the climax of ministry to see a supernatural manifestations of God's presence and, and to see the church, uh, you know, uh, really reach out its community, see transformation in our neighborhood and become, a, a, you know, a light in the darkness. So much so that I invested a lot of effort in, in, in researching and preparing and preaching with fire in my bones for God to do something amazing. And in the midst of all of that, we needed obviously to create some structures for small groups environment. And I started in a, in a small group. And after a while, I realized that, you know, I, I didn't really feel comfortable or confident or, or competent to help in this smaller environment. So I thought, you know what, I'm not really called to help people in that smaller environment. It's a, it's a bit relationally draining for somebody like me. And I would come home and, 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 and still have to, you know, catch up with other people. I'm, you know, probably drained from catching up with people during the day and I spoke with one of the uh, uh, colleagues a pastor and said to me don't worry you don't actually have to attend the small groups environments you can just you you just preach and lead and 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 that's your calling and uh, I felt so uh, hesitant early on but relieved that I didn't have to disciple people in communities in small communities I was happy to just do the stage thing it was comfortable for me it was comfortable for an introvert like me and I wonder if many of us felt the same way about our discipling endeavor or potentially lack of and I want to propose to you that tonight I will begin to inspire and encourage you to maybe reconsider what you think of discipleship as potentially the one thing that Jesus left for us. And I want to say from the start, you cannot be a disciple without being a discipler. It's a myth that needs to be busted. I believe that God's call for every Jesus honoring person is to engage in the process of discipleship. And we want over the next few weeks to create a simple approach to discipleship that anyone, regardless of their competence, can engage in a relational environment with a small group of people to help them grow and develop. So tonight, I just simply want to propose to you a definition and four simple reasons why we do discipleship. Why is it urgent? But before doing that, I want to share with you just few reasons why I believe 
that we are struggling to incorporate discipleship in our daily endeavors. The first thing is that we have, as Christians in the Western church, have adopted an individualistic approach to Christianity. We have believed since the Renaissance that I think, therefore I am. And in that context, we believe that spiritual, uh, you know, life can be done as an individual. You can grow and develop and be everything God wants you to be as an individual. And uh, accordingly, you as a disciple, you don't have to engage with others other people too much. You can go to church, you can uh, you know, attend a, a Bible study group, you can volunteer in, in ministry opportunities, you can be a godly person, but you do not have a collective perspective of God's kingdom. The first reason that we struggle to invest as disciples is because maybe we fell into the trap of believing Christianity is individualistic. The second thing I believe, the second reason is that we truly think of success, the indicators of success, to be more of a crowd environment, more of a success environment based on numbers, based on achievement, based on brownie points, based on what cultures. I, I love an interview that I, I just listened to uh, from an American church just the past week or so, where uh, they, they were speaking about the idea that Christianity has become the American dream. I would say the Australian dream, the Western dream with enough sprinkle of Jesus on it to make it Christian, to make it biblical. And therefore we adopted indicators of success that potentially have altered our view of God's purposes for our lives as individuals and the Christian brand overall. We count things that God doesn't count and we don't count what God counts. I tell you, I have been a pastor for some years and I have never, ever, ever been in a meeting where somebody said to me, how are you going with discipling people? It's always been how many people in your church? How many members in your church? How many people in your connect groups? How many uh, of these people are serving? Uh, I'm not saying any of that is bad, but what, I, what I'm trying to propose is the indicators of success determine our activities. And finally, I believe that one of the reasons why we do not invest in discipleship is because we feel incompetent. For me, I had a sense of social incompetence. I, I didn't feel relationally capable of investing in a few. But some of us also haven't been discipled in order to disciple others. And, uh, and we will look at that in research over the next few minutes. And, and I'll show you that that's actually a reality. Some of us don't engage deeply in relational discipleship because we feel scared that we will stuff it up, that we wouldn't know how to invest into others. So given that that's the landscape of our investment in discipleship, 
I would love to propose to you that there are four simple reasons why you and I have the urgency. I know if you're a follower of Jesus, you're already cheering me on as you listen to this, as you watch this. And he's saying, yes, Peter, we do need to have to invest in discipleship. And you're already probably doing that in your own context. And he's saying, we hope as many people as possible would do that. So let me give you four reasons why we should encourage one another, stir one another, and never forget the reality of our calling as disciples. The first one, the first reason for our investment in the ministry of discipleship is Jesus's priority. The second thing, it was the apostles' plan. The third thing that should encourage us to invest is the current church problem or Christian brand problem. And finally, is the potential impact that can have upon us. So let me go through them briefly in the next few minutes. The first one is Jesus's priority. Jesus in, in the most famous commission, in the most famous statement before he departed planet earth, he gave his church their mission statement. Mission statement basically means the reason why they exist. So if you do not do the reason why you exist, I'm not sure that we are aligned and have the right to live according to, be, uh, to Jesus' intentions for us as his followers. And in Matthew 28, Jesus said this, Therefore, go and make disciples. And you probably are aware that most scholars say that the only command in this entire commission is make disciples. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. To the very end of the age. You know, Jesus did not ask his disciples to make converts or to make fans, but to make disciples. And you know what? You probably unaware of the fact that a disciple uh, in those days were a lot you know, deeper than we think of a Christian these days. It was a really demanding occupation. It was like an apprenticeship, like an apprentice of Jesus, so to speak. You know, when you have an apprentice carpenter, this becomes what they do in life. This is who they are in life. This is what they invest in. That's why they buy a particular, uh, you know, different tools. And that's why they invest in a particular way of doing things. And that's why they learn. And that's why they, they, they practice and even physically endure the pressure that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, experienced in this occupation. So when Jesus was saying to his disciples, the one thing, the one priority I want you to do in life is actually make apprentices. What he was saying is this. He's saying, I want you to multiply. I, don't miss this, please. I want you to multiply a specific type of people in the world, Jesus-like people. It's a matter of socialization. He says, I want you to make Jesus like people wherever you may be. 
And it was obviously uh, uh, discipleship has a goal, a timeless goal, and timely methodology. A timeless goal is that people, the disciples will become like the master, like the teacher. In Luke chapter 6, verse 42, Jesus says, you know, a, a disciple is never better or more than the teacher, but the well-trained, the mature disciple is like the teacher. They live in such proximity and connection with the teacher that they become like the teacher. They like the teacher and they become like the teacher. There is a timeless goal for our life as followers of Jesus is to become like Jesus. And this should be our mandate. We can't say, oh, we brought people to Christ. Or we're helping people to be in the church. Or we, we, you know, we're witnessing to people in our environment at school or at uni. That is great. But that's insufficient. Jesus wants us to help people become a certain type of person in the world. And that requires a methodology. Uh, to Jesus' paradigm, Jewish paradigm, discipleship was like an educational apprenticeship environment where a teenager would go to a rabbi and say, you know, I, give, you know, I, I want to follow you. And, he, and when the rabbi agreed that they were capable, say, take my, my yoke upon you. And they lived, they left all and they lived. So Jesus Jesus uh, took the same paradigm and asked his disciples to leave all and follow him and be with him as a group of people that become like their master. And we want to show you over the next few weeks a, 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 a way, a, a simple approach and methodology to help people so, be socialized into becoming a certain type of person, a specific type of person, a Jesus-like person. The second thing I want to share with you, it was the apostles' plan. As soon as the church was endowed with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, many people received Jesus and became followers. Guess what did the apostles do? They didn't say, hey, we got 3,000 converts. Let's celebrate and move to the next 3,000. They didn't do that. They actually created communities where these people can be socialized into becoming certain type of people, become Jesus-like people. So in Acts 2, they created communities where they devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to uh, the breaking bread, fellowship, being together, sharing life, common life together. And the best example is the Apostle Paul, who is known to be the greatest missionary. But guess what? The greatest missionary wasn't just satisfied to, do, uh, to, to, to help people come to know Jesus or being cultured in a church environment or just, you know, do a godly thing. He wanted them to become more like Jesus. In Galatians chapter 4, he would say that I labor like a, like a lady giving birth until Christ is formed in you. And in Ephesians chapter 3, he prays that they would stand firm, that they would grow and that they will have the fullness of God manifested in them. And in Colossians chapter 1, he says this, Colossians chapter 1, 27 to 29, he says, To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone, everyone, fully mature in Christ. To this end, 
That's the end. That's the purpose. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Paul, the greatest missionary, knew the end that he wanted is to present those disciples mature, to be more like Jesus. This is the process of discipleship, not just to bring someone to know Jesus, but to become like Jesus in every possible way. And that was his goal. The third thing I want to share briefly is the current problem. The current problem of our Christian brand is you know, made manifest to many of us who read research. We've discovered even here in Australia that there is declining Christianity over the past 50 years. We have 30 people, 30% of those who profess to be Christians 50 years ago no longer profess to be Christians. We have 30% less Christians now than we had 50 years ago. You imagine another 50 years, what would the trajectory of that look like? But it's not just decline in quantity. There is decline in quality. Uh, George Barna Research, it's a huge research organization in the USA for Christian matters and discipleship and other Christian and spiritual uh, uh, area of research. He uh, produced a book uh, called a Revolution and, and, and in it he says that uh, Christians who are considered born again Christians are not really living uh, the type of Christian life that is espoused in the scripture. He said that uh, uh, 9% of those born again Christians do not have a biblical worldview. A three, 3% only tithe and less than 16% of born again Christians have a, a friendship, a relationship of accountability in their spiritual walk. We have declined not merely in numbers, but we actually have declined in quality. Also, researchers tell us uh, in, a, in, in so many different empirical research that there is deficiency in discipleship. They say, you know, we, we actually don't help people be transformed in the transformational discipleship book. And based on some empirical research, we have a discipleship deficiency. Finally, we have a distraction. We're distracted by putting energy in other things other than that which matters. I recall reading uh, for Mike Breen a book, a very well-known book about discipleship, the, the, the uh, building a discipling culture. And he says that we don't have a missional problem, that evangelism problem, or a leadership problem in the church or in the Western church. We have a discipleship problem. We have a discipleship problem. We don't have focus on discipleship. You know, I, I could go on and on and on to help you understand through research and current expert in the field who would tell us that we've been distracted with following and pursuing other callings, that which is accepted by other people and that which is esteemed by church members and that which gives us a great reputation. But we're not interested in investing relationally in a few, sadly. Because it doesn't really get esteemed. But finally, I want to share with you that the fourth reason why we should invest wholeheartedly is because of the potential impact. Paul said to Timothy, And these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He created that idea of multiplication, not just addition. 
Paul gives it to Timothy and Timothy gives it to others who will also able to give it to others also. So there is a multiplication. I want to share with you a couple of ideas about the potential impact. The first one, there is steady growth in relational environment rather than the sensationalist, emotional and exciting type of, uh, of experiences that people have in big events and exciting events and in environments where we, we feel really excited about what we're doing and our achievements and, and, and the like. There is simple growth, gradual growth that happens in a small environment where needs are met, where hearts are being revealed where transformation and input and correction is happening all the time, not just once in the heat of the moment. There is steady growth that happens. That's why Jesus got his disciples and invested 90% of his time in his disciples in a small environment with ordinary group of people that changed the world. Steady growth over three years that impacted the world for good. Secondly, there is a discipling pattern that can be passed on in a smaller group environment rather than in a seminar or in a sermon or even in a conference. The reality, we need a group of people that, that we can can observe how they are teaching others, how they are helping us so that we can help others. We want to see transformation in them that we could receive as well. And we can see a trajectory of our own transformation. And that way we can be models to others too. The reality is Paul said to Timothy, what you see in me, the way I live, the way I interact, the way I suffer, the way I endure, I want you to live that out. And therefore, you be also examples to the believers in every area of life. Finally, I want to share with you that the simple and 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 uh, beautiful ministry of discipleship has incredible, huge implication. Number one, if you try to do uh, the match. If you have a, a ministry of preaching and you win one person to Christ a day, you'll be a freak. But if you can do that, you'll have 365 people a year. And you obviously, you're not going to have enough time to disciple them. So in 10 years, you have 3,650 people. But if you have invested in one person a year and you live in, in such a proximal way that you support them, that you encourage them, that you help them grow, guess what? After that year, that person may be able to duplicate what they've learned and disciple someone else. So the second year, you will disciple one more person and your discipler, the disciple will disciple one more person, will have four people and it keeps multiplying to the power of two all the time. So by 10 years, you will have 1,024 people. And the person that gained one person a day will, will have more, will have 3,650. But in 20 years' time, that person that is winning 365 persons a day would have got to 7,300 people. But you... It's through your little investment in one that continues to be in one, 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 and they invest in others. You will have 1,048,571 persons. In 30 years, the person that helped one person will have 10,950 souls. You will have 1 billion. Imagine that. You know why the enemy is stopping us from investing in one? Because he knows the impact that you can have in 30 years time. 
And I, I understand that the enemy says, oh, it never happens that way. Have we tried it? The church has created environments for seeker sensitive, for concert like, for drama, for action, for camera light, smoke. We've tried everything, but have we tried investing in the one? Based on that, I want to suggest to you sell your bed and be invested. Sell your bed and be invested. Let's sell our comfort zone. Let's sell everything that we have received as, you know, kind and, 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 and lovely and as comfortable Christianity. Let's invest in the one. Let's repent of the way we have succumbed to the pressure of, of success in the Christian field. Let's begin praying heavily for recruiting people that one person, it's not that hard to invest in one person or a small group of two or three people, but you give it your best shot. You give your life. You give your investment of time, of energy, of care to them. And finally, figure out a relational context and framework to help people. And in the next few weeks, we're going to assist you with that approach. Thank you so much for being with us. May God bless and honor you as you commit to make His priority your priority. God bless you. See you next time.